You're Smarter Than Us is a proud member of the Soccer and Sweet Tea Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Check out all of the coverage of Soccer in the Carolinas at Soccer, the letter N, SweetTea.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Your Smarter Than Us. Tim here. We're deviating from our usual format, our usual interview format, whether that be in person or over Skype. And it's just going to be me here kind of wrapping the season up for you, chatting a little bit about the off season and, and kind of explaining what I, I guess I hope to do with the podcast as we move forward. But as we sit here on Monday afternoon, the NPSL playoffs are wrapping up this upcoming weekend. This past weekend, um, the Cosmos beat San Diego and Miami FC beat Cleveland SC to reach the finals. If Guys, if you get a chance, I, the, the game should be on my Kuju, I believe. Uh, that, that's going to be a fantastic game. And it could be the last time we see Miami, at least. Well, it will be the last time we see Miami in the NPSL and, and who knows what the Cosmos have um, in their future. But it, it's been a fantastic season. Um, we're we're going to circle back around to the NPSL. Um, but I wanted to start with the WPSL, where I believe Pensacola ended up winning the um, league on the whole on a ridiculous noon kickoff local time in Oklahoma. I think it was in Stillwater at a beautiful stadium that had maybe 50 or 60 people in it watching that game. But more more locally here at home, the WPSL season did wrap up a ways back, um, I believe, on the weekend after the 4th as um, Asheville went down to Charlotte and had their season ended down there. But let's take one step back and kind of explain a little bit of the late season drama. So the women went down to Charleston in a game that they had come up here and beat us 2-1. to one. And we went down in there and we absolutely took it to them. We won 6-0. It was um, the weekend before we played the Eagles at home. So it was a do-or-die game. We had to basically win out from that point forward with maybe a little bit of wiggle room if we lost to the Eagles. Which, sure enough, a couple days later we came home and we lost to the Eagles 0-2. to two. It was a much better game than the game we played down in Charlotte. It um, We had much more possession of the ball. We we didn't necessarily dictate play to them, but we definitely um, sat back a little and allowed them to play forwards, and we didn't necessarily feel out of control, I guess you would say. Nonetheless, we did lose uh, 2-0, one of those goals was kind of late too. So I think the one nil would have been a fair scoreline Two nil we still deserved, but it, it was a little bit closer than the two nil. So that put us in a precarious playoff situation. And basically uh, a lot of us were sitting around um, checking our phones because um, Charleston and Beaufort County were playing and we had to have Beaufort either win or draw that game. We had to have Charleston lose or draw that game for the the Asheville City women to continue to have a chance at the playoffs. So, of course, everybody has different levels of social media engagement. Um, of course, the league office is no help whatsoever with 100 plus clubs playing um, throughout the course of the week. 
but Beaufort, I think the game Beaufort and Charleston was a 0-0 draw. So that set up a situation where Asheville was playing at home against Beaufort, um, and we had to win that game. We needed all three points to make the playoffs. And the way the playoffs were going to work was going to be 1-2-1-2 on either side of the Carolina Conference, two going to one. So in that Beaufort game, there was a um, tight game, nil-nil, 80th minute handball. The Beaufort County uh, coach went absolutely mental, tried to pull his team off the pitch, ended up getting ejected, wouldn't leave the pitch. The police had to come onto the pitch and, and physically remove him. Um, Molly Dwyer nails a PK. We, we're going to the playoffs. So we should have been playing the uh, Fusion women who in what the WPSL is just known for, completely uh, turned down the offer to even go to the playoffs, which sent us to Oak City. Oak City, if you'll remember, is the team that we played last year and lost 3-2 to two in one of the wackiest games I've ever seen, and um, that, that prevented us from going to the playoffs. So this year we go there, we're in the playoffs, we take it to them, we, we, we absolutely dominated the game. It was another one of those like 100 degrees on the pitch, 5 o'clock kickoff in Raleigh. Absolutely ridiculous. It, it just blows my mind that where, whereas Asheville City might struggle getting dates, at least we have player safety, player health, and, and things of that nature in mind. Oak City even had to move the game because the um, NCFC U23s were playing on the field that they usually play on. At least they have options, I suppose, but it still just kind of cracks me up. So that set us up for a revenge game against the Eagles in Charlotte at the Sportsplex. Uh, we started up uh, just about the strongest 11 we had had all season. Things kind of got moved around a little bit, but you had Dwyer up top, uh, Jacobs and McClure in the midfield, Cujo and McCleary Small on the wings, Poplin playing DM. Bullock and Powers um, playing in the back four with Griffiths and Roberts. Roberts dropping into that CB role is absolutely fascinating to me because she, in, in a game that, you know, they always say it's hard to beat a team three times in a year. Well, you know, obviously uh, Roberts plays forward. So, so she is a connective tissue between the back line and the midfield with a dominating defensive presence. But for her to basically forego her offensive duties and completely drop into a CB role, a center half role was fascinating to me. And not, not on top of that, she did a fantastic job. And of course we had Bryson Lee in goal. So it, it was almost a, I guess a four, one diamond one, that we were playing at times that diamond would kind of flatten out a little bit, which I actually think was very smart, especially because the last time we were in Charlotte, we it was one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched because you would watch the CBs move up, uh, potentially pass it to a wing, and then the, the wing would just pass it out of bound or the ball would get intercepted. Charlotte just did an amazing job cutting out those lanes and preventing any sort of forward momentum. By flattening that diamond out at times, you actually created triangles and opportunities and lanes that everybody was moving through. So the first half... Um, it was just absolutely amazing. It was exactly what Asheville needed. It went into the half uh, nil-nil. Bryson had a massive save 42 minutes in. 
Um, we, we basically just traded possession back and forth. If anything, Charlotte definitely had the majority of it, but I do think Asheville actually had the better opportunities on goal. We had several crosses that just nothing was coming. Nothing was on the other end of, or the keeper was just coming in to scoop them up. Uh, 60th minute, the Eagles scored uh, and, and, kind of especially us fans in the stands we we started to get a little down because it the the more the game wore on it just didn't seem like Asheville was going to find anything we 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 kept putting in crosses we kept putting in um, runs maybe we were offside but nothing was coming from it Um, and then in I, I I'm maybe I'm a hyperbolic person in general but the ending of this game, the last about 15 minutes, emotionally probably was more of an up and down roller coaster than anything I've ever experienced. Uh, 83 minutes, Asheville scores, Canizio off of a header. We, we popped smoke in the stands, and before the smoke had even gone out, Charlotte scored another goal and went up. Um, it, it was a sad end to that, that, those smoke bombs. Um, but then again, within about another 30 seconds, 45 seconds, Mariah Powers hits a second header. Kinesio had previously hit a header and we go level, uh, with, with, you know, uh, maybe we were thinking like three, four minutes of extra time. Uh, so with about seven, eight minutes left, we're, we're, even we're, we're expecting extra time, potentially going to PKs. We feel really good potentially about going to PKs if we can just stand back. Then in the 90th minute, um, the individual that had scored the brace for Charlotte finishes out her hat trick off of a free kick, off of a pretty bad foul. I'm not, I'm not even sure who um, allowed it, but it was definitely a foul that I think just was nervy and um, they, they threw a foot out there that didn't need to be thrown out there. But it was one of those free kicks where um, the, the goal scorer just got up and got the very, very top of her head on a ball that was kind of curving down. And had she not done that, it just would have went straight into Bryson's hands. And even though she did get the top of her head on the ball, it just cleared Bryson's touch. Um, 3-2 Charlotte, and then after a few more minutes, that's how the game wraps up. So that is also how the women's season ended. Um, it was definitely a season of ups and downs with uh, honestly more downs than ups, even though we kind of pulled it together at the end. Um, I spoke a little bit with uh, Megan since the end of the season and Stacy also, and they both basically said that in, in the life of a club that potentially this season was exactly what we needed in the, the first season we dominated so much and, Things seemed almost too easy, that it was very shocking how last season ended. So this season, we we I'm not saying we were cocky, but we certainly assumed um, we, we were already going to go to the playoffs. We assumed this. We, we assumed what we were cobbling together with player recruitment and who we brought in was going to lead us certainly to the South Regionals uh, playoffs, and and we had expectations to potentially end up in Oklahoma. And that's just not how it ended up. Um, at home, 
we we struggled and and there's no real explanation to it at least that i'm aware of we had games um where we lost two to one two to one to zero and then we finally won a game one to zero these are league not friendly games um one zero and that came on an 80th minute pk like i was just describing now away from home besides that one to three loss that we had at charlotte uh we won five nil four nil six nil so there's I don't even know how to explain that. Um, so certainly a season of ups and downs. I think the perseverance at the end of the season counts for something and shows that this team um, knows what it has to do when it has to do it. I, I think even going into that last game at Charlotte, um, you know, they they had to score and they did. They, they knew what they had to do, but they definitely played down to op to their opponents at certain times and then played up um, on those games away. Um, if if I had to pick a favorite moment of the season, it probably actually would be that Molly Dwyer PK against Beaufort, um, you know, with everything riding on that game. Um, if, if you go back and watch the videos that different people have posted about that, you can see the cathartic release on the players' faces as they celebrate that goal. They knew that goal was was it right there. Like they knew they were going to be able to sit back and, and protect that lead and it was sending them into the playoffs. But that was certainly a goal. What was fascinating about it is I actually think uh, Jennifer Cujo lined up to take it at first and then passed it to Molly Dwyer, which was really interesting. But it it we needed it. It had to happen. If, if you watch that gift, the keeper never even leaves their lines. It, it was just, you couldn't ask for a better goal kick from that. Um, goal of the season, Abby Brown, who I think was definitely a revelation, and I hope she comes back next season. Um, she had a goal against Charleston away in the 58th minute. It was the fifth of the game um, and the second of the game for her. But it was a beautiful curler. Um, a lot of those away goals, uh, the the, whether the streams weren't great or it was being streamed on Facebook Live by an intern or one of the owners, it was kind of hard to see some of those goals. But that was definitely, uh, Charleston had that game on my Kuju and uh, definitely was able to watch that. And that, you know, there wasn't a lot of goals to choose from from home, but that in, in open play, kind of a team goal that ended up in a beautifully placed shot. Um, the the pluses of the season, I would definitely say the aforementioned Abby Brown was absolutely something that um, coming into the season, we had kind of that front three with Jennifer occasionally playing in the midfield of uh, Jennifer, Molly, and Megan. And I wasn't quite sure how you improved upon that from what they did last year. Well, the answer was Abby Brown. She came in and I believe in two games had a hat trick and a brace. She eventually had another brace. She was by far our leading goal scorer of the season. She she came in and, and basically acted like she had played there last year also. The, the way that she was able to connect with everybody once the midfield had the ball. Now, getting the midfield the ball was the issue all season long. On top of uh, Abby was definitely, um, as a plus, was Bryson Lee, which you, the, the, that sounds a little funny to say, you know, when we talk about having only won one game at home and uh, lost, you know, we, we finished basically with a 500 record. But um, Bryson stopped games from getting out of control. A lot of those losses, the 2-1 to one losses, the 2-0 um, at a uh, 
at home against Charlotte. Hannah actually played that one, but the 3-1 away at Charlotte, um, Bryson kept that game closer than that. That game easily, easily could have been uh, 5-6-1 easily, but Bryson kept that a lot closer. Um, Deltas, things that I would like to see changed potentially for next year. Something's got to be figured out uh, with with bringing the ball up. I know, uh, you know, obviously you're going to kick the ball long sometimes, but I think one of the things that we did extremely well the first season was just that simple progression of keeper to maybe Brooke, Brooke getting the ball into the midfield, and then the midfield, uh, you know, cutting out to the wings or, uh, you know, playing into the space that Megan and Molly could um, take advantage of. And now we also have Abby if she comes back. So having something, you know, Brooke going down with that injury right before the season started definitely put a damper on everything. And, and you know, we had people who stepped up and did the best they could, but it, it, it just lacked the constant pressure, the constant having to uh, be reactive instead of proactive. It just wore on everyone throughout the course of the season. And then to pick a player of the season without even a second second guess of it, I would 100% pick um, young Maya Poplin, who came in and she, she's another one where, you know, I, I'm willing to bet not even that many people noticed her throughout the course of the season and didn't even necessarily see what her contribution was. But she was a young player. Um, she's still in high school. She actually played for Beaufort County last year. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Parker Roberts basically um, suggested her to management saying that last year she was one of the toughest midfielders she played all season long. So Maya came up and played the season with us as a rising senior. She's played at some of the U.S. soccer camps um, in throughout her youth, uh, obviously a high school all-star, but she, she came in and for such a young player, she was uh, composed. She controlled the ball. I never saw her hurried, no, no matter what was coming at her. And as uh, as you can see with some of those 2-1 losses and especially the game down in Charlotte, she she just bossed the midfield, maybe not so much in a distribution sense since I was just saying that that, that was a challenge throughout the course of the season. But I, I watched her usher the ball out, and she was definitely one of those players that I think you never noticed her because all she did was her job. And and she may not have put in fancy tackles, and she may not have made those line-breaking passes, but I don't know that I necessarily ever saw her put a foot in wrong all season long. And just like I was talking about how Bryson prevented some of those games from getting kind of ugly, I think Maya was 100% responsible for some of those too. And her role throughout the season changed too. I was just describing how Parker dropped into being a center half. Well, when she did that, Maya kind of became the lone DM throughout the course of those last two, the Oak City game and the Charlotte Eagles game. And especially in that Charlotte Eagles game to wrap up the season, Maya, Maya just, I can't explain to you how well she did against basically a constant onslaught, especially from the wings. That's the one thing that the Eagles have in spades is just speedy players on the wings. And Maya did a fantastic job as the lone DM 
um, stopping them and preventing. I, I don't necessarily know that any three of the goals you could single-handedly say was her fault. Um, and, and I just, she was a breath of fresh air this season. And I hope she comes back next season and we can build on her successes. Now, to juxtapose the women's season, we had an extremely successful men's season who also made the playoffs. The way the uh, table ended up, you had Chattanooga at the top of the table with 23 points. Greenville finished one point above Asheville with 19 points. Asheville at 18 points. And then International also made the playoffs, leaving Georgia and Atlanta out of the playoffs. So... (laughs) Um, on top of a fantastic last game of the season where um, I, I don't even remember when the goal was scored, but it was a late, late, late goal scored. I believe uh, Jamie uh, headed it to Ross Fitzpatrick, who headed it in maybe the 90th minute against Atlanta at home to keep us. Uh, the playoff seating had basically already been sorted by that point. Um, I think it was just basically Greenville and Asheville for second or third. Um, and and uh, Greenville actually surprised a lot of us and beat Chattanooga in the last game of the season down in Serene three to one. So that put them above Asheville who had played the previous day. But that put us in a situation at the end of the season um, going into the playoffs for the third round of the Carolina Classico. And I I told everybody before the game that it I wasn't nervous. And, and there was something about it after um, a 2-2 game and after a nil-nil game up in Asheville that that, that game had been rescheduled. There was something about this game that I, even though Greenville had just beat Chattanooga, there was something about it that I just really felt like Asheville had Greenville's number. And and I didn't know what it was going to be. I was telling everybody before the game that I thought it was going to be one of these uh, quirky 3-2 with maybe like a 118th minute winner, basically. And I, I got the scoreline wrong, but uh, the game did go extras, and it was an extra time header um, from Jamie Smith, which I had also predicted um, that won it for Asheville in the long run. But let's let's take one step back real quick and talk a little bit about that game. Um, the starting lineup was basically at that point in time exactly what we were expecting. Um, Lucas Joyner and Nathan Watt came back from their two-game suspension from the red cards that they had picked up in the previous Classico, and both of them started. Um, Lucas actually, Rory O'Keefe, who had come in and played a few games for us. He's an All-American from Midwestern State where he plays with Dylan Burke and Fitzpatrick. And he had come in and replaced Marcos Enriquez, who signed for a third tier team in Spain, I believe, maybe a fourth tier. So poor Jamie Smith back there is just having, you know, chemistry issues, maybe not issues, but definitely not um, the consistency and continuity that you would like to see between a pair, especially not what he had developed with Luke Matthews last year. But uh, Lucas Joyner just continues to be the Swiss army knife of the Asheville City Soccer Club. He is now, by my count, played on both wings in the back. I think he's played um, both positions, um, both CB positions, and I know I've seen him play forward up on the uh, front on both wings also. So five, maybe six different positions. We're going to put him in goal eventually, I'm sure. But um, 
Frank was up top. Hattie and Nathan were on the wings on either side of them. Chris Allen and Rots Fitzpatrick in the midfield. And Burke and Bethel um, are, were in the back. Not the ideal starting 11, especially not at what you would have been expecting at the beginning of the season. But by far at that point in the season, we had everybody available. You know, all those players had played Greenville extremely tough throughout the course of the season. Um, as I was saying, uh, the, the game did go nil-nil into extra time. Um, Lucas had some um, good shots. Chris Allen had a great shot around the 30th minute. Um, Hattie came off with an injury, and Nick came on. Um, uh, our keeper just did an amazing job, a couple one-on-one saves. And then in the 103rd minute, um, Greenville just kind of broke down defensively. Asheville had a corner. It came in. It got cleared away. Jamie was pressed up for that corner. And, um, you know, just with his incredible football IQ, read the rebound off of it and stayed pressed up where um, somebody played him onside and another ball just came in. I'm not exactly sure what the Greenville player was uh, thinking, to be perfectly honest, because he basically just let the ball go by. I'm assuming he thought that Paul Tyson was going to come out and collect it. But instead, Jamie put it um, in the upper right-hand corner for a goal and game ends 1-0. Um, Asheville collects the keg of the covenant officially um, and we pick up our first win over Greenville of all time. So Asheville is now 1-2-2 uh, two two against Greenville. Look forward to continue that rivalry. The Greenville fans were fantastic. It out of, out of everything I've experienced with Asheville City Soccer Club so far, the rivalry with Greenville that has led to the collaboration that le leads to competitiveness, which just leads to more collaboration is, is probably my favorite thing we've done so far. It's just been so fantastic to experience. So that put us within 24 hours because of some uh, lightning delays. Um, we we're going to be right back playing the winner of the Chattanooga Nashville game. The very next day, Chattanooga won that game with I want to say three second half goals. Um, there was a red card. I think Nashville pulled one back, and so they won that game three to one with a man down at that. And then the next day, we rotated just a little bit against Chattanooga. Um, Carlson, actually, Toby started up top. Um, Joe Lacasto was out on the wing. Chris and Waddy was in there. Colin McCurley, who hadn't played the previous day because of some college um, requirements came in and then we played the same back four and obviously the same keeper um, the first maybe 10 minutes of that game was exactly what I was kind of hoping for we took it straight to them we knew we needed a goal it, it just didn't come and then after about 10 minutes I think the tiredness just set in Chattanooga um, didn't rotate that deeply themselves but I think they knew they had a bench that they could quickly go to if they had to and um, they, they just kind of jumped on top of us starting in the uh, 30th minute. They scored probably the best goal I saw all season, men or women opposing or Asheville City. It was a kind of um, beautiful spin on the left-hand side that came back around. It just turned Wadi and um, Bethel inside out, basically, and then gave... I mean, put it through Lucas, Jamie, and our keeper in the most ridiculous just shotgun kind of um, 
you know, one of those goals where it hits the top of the net because it's still rising and then like at the, the net has to absorb so much energy that it just kind of sits in the back of the net for a second. It, it was, you can't even get upset about it. Um, not too long after that, they scored another goal. We, we did pull one back in the 38th minute. Um, Allen knocked in a PK after a, a clear handball. So we went into half, 2-1 down. Um, and I, I was telling everybody, you know, if we can score a goal five minutes within the first five minutes after half, I think we could still have a chance at that. And instead of us scoring that goal, <laughs> Chattanooga scored it in the 51st minute and then added another in the 68th. And the men's season ended 4-1. to one. I, it, it was definitely a season of change for the men though it it was a season that saw i think mick coach mick last year struggled at times to find the balance of um, players that gary had recruited and maybe stuck around and expected certain things from mick and mick didn't necessarily want to give it to him because he wanted to play a certain way Um, i think he also was able to recruit players specifically from the d2 level that helped him play the way that he wanted to play. I'm thinking of the Chris Allens, of the Russ Fitzpatricks, of the Kyle McClurys, the players that, you know, we we talked in the offseason about how the NPSL, the short truncated season, doesn't actually lend itself to attempting to create chemistry and having a counterattack style that doesn't rely on possession with only three months with your season actually probably is the best way to go. And and Mick just completely turned that theory on its ear and created a team that wanted to possess the ball, wanted to play through the midfield, wanted to play out through the wings, and 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 successfully did. If you really go back and look at the season that we had, you know, at home, we we didn't get played off the pitch by any stretch of the imagination. Um, even the home game against Chattanooga, they beat us, but I wouldn't necessarily say they outclassed us. Um, the first game of the season against um, Nashville, it was a late, late, late uh, 1-0 loss to them from a bad gaff from the keeper that I don't necessarily know that I saw him make again throughout the course of the season. So we we probably deserved a point from that, which would have put us even with Greenville. I think they would have had more points per game um, because of all their draws. But I, I then they only had the one loss, uh, that 3-0 loss against Nashville, which I'm not even sure where that came from. But it we played the low scoring defensively stout games that we wanted to play throughout the course of the season. And except against Chattanooga, it it just worked against the competition in the Southeast. I I also want to say that I think had players that ended up being injured or never played for us in general, but were rostered and announced, had they played, I think we would have also seen an extension of what we saw, but potentially with more goals. So if you think about the few games that we did lose, or maybe even one or two of those that we drew against uh, Greenville, if we had had Luke all season long, maybe Jamie would have had that chemistry and we wouldn't have given up one or two of those goals and changed. Um, if uh, Bruno Andrade had, had had not had his knee messed up and been able to play, I think that's just one more wing player that 
would have known Memorial, would have known the competition, and could have contributed a little bit more. And if Johnny Haste had ever made it from the Colorado School of the Mines instead of tearing his hamstring, I, I think we would have scored four or five goals a few times throughout the course of this season. So on top of that, we had some successes. You know, we, we finished with a winning record. We got a Classico win in the playoffs. We went to a conference final. Um, we also drew the South Carolina Bantams, the South Carolina United Bantams, who went to the playoffs for USL League Two. Those are all accomplishments that I don't necessarily know that last year or the first year we could have pocketed. And on top of that, we had several um, individual players recognized. In the Southeast, we had Jamie Smith, Chris Allen, and Frank Rosenwald named in the starting 11 for the Southeast. For the All-South, Jamie Smith. And then for the first time, we had Jamie Smith make the National All-11. That is quite the accomplishment. That team is filled with players from Cosmos and Detroit and Chattanooga and FC Arizona, um, some, some other teams out west, and Jamie Smith. So um, props to my man there. He well-deserved. He definitely kept us um, above water a lot of games. He won the playoff game for us. Um, I, I, when when we start making statues outside of Memorial, if Lucas Joyner is first, I, I think Jamie Smith is is one A right there. I, I think we're going to unveil those statues at the exact same time. Um, but if if now that said, and I'm not not to knock Jamie down a peg, but I think if I had to pick a player of the season, it actually would have been Chris Allen. Chris Allen, um, you know, scored a couple goals for us, but he he was a player. He was the player that I thought Pedro Benito was going to be at the beginning of the season. He was the player that brought goals and assists. He brought a different tempo to the team. He has a ridiculously small turning radius when he gets the ball. He loves the ball at his feet. It's almost like it's on a string. It doesn't get too far away from him. Um, he, he gave other opposing midfields absolute fits. And it was almost like he constantly was supplying, um, whether, whether the goal went in or not, he was supplying the hockey assist, the assist before the assist. Um, the, the way he reads the game is something that I don't necessarily know Asheville has ever had anything like. So, Chris, that, that my personal player of the season, and I hope he comes back. So that's that, that's our season in, in wrap-up, both the women and the men. Um, you know, as we go into the off-season, there's going to be different things that um, the club needs fan support to help at. One of the first things is this upcoming Thursday at the Stevens Lee Rec Center from 11 to 2 and then from 6 to 8. There's the first community input session about the renovations of Memorial Stadium. There's two different designs. One of them has a track around them. One of them doesn't. Um, there's other different things too, but the, the the track is the big thing because the track basically, if a track goes in around Memorial Stadium, it would prevent Asheville City from being able to play there in the future. So there's other things that we need to see also potentially, such as a ticketing booth and locker rooms, and, and we want those things. But the track is the number one detriment to um, player recruitment. You know, when, when you're talking about, you know, somebody coming in from Colorado or somebody coming in from across the country, they're not coming here to play on a pitch that is smaller than 
an American high school football field, which which basically this field would be at that point. So please, guys, if, if you listen to this before that, um, Thursday, 11 to 2, 6 to 8, there's two different opportunities. Uh, Stevens Lee is right on the edge of downtown off of Charlotte Street, kind of by the courthouse. Um, it, it'd take you 10, 15 minutes. You just got to go in, explain why you think uh, Asheville City is good for the future of the city and um, deserves, Memorial deserves to be their home. So that's going to wrap it up. Um, you will see a series of podcasts coming out pretty soon, including um, a conversation I'm going to have with a few people talking about the viability of potentially the NPSL Southeast moving forwards. NISA has taken off. Founders Cup has fallen apart. Members Cup has risen out of the ashes of the Founders Cup. Um, Chattanooga and Detroit might be leaving for NISA. It's just absolutely mayhem in the lower leagues right now, as it is just about every year. I don't know that in the last four or five years, any sort of, and and of course, you know, uh, League One and USL and MLS are still going. So I say off season, um, and it's not really even the off season for most of the leagues right now, but especially in the NPSL, it's always mayhem. Nothing, you know, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the more things stay the same, the more they change. So keep an eye out for those. Um, we'll also be wrapping things up with um, conversations with Coach Mick. Hope to get Ryan Kelly and maybe a few of the other owners on. Um, and, and as always, you guys can reach out to us at, um, you know, you're smarter than us, your underscore smarter than us on Twitter. Shoot us an email at you're smarter than us at gmail.com. We would love to hear um, anything really, truly you guys would like to see changes made, um, maybe improvements. Um, I don't have much of an ego with this, so please, please don't feel like you're going to be hurting my feelings by letting me know what I do wrong. Um, nonetheless, we'll chat at you next time. I guess that's why-